This episode of the Curious Life podcast is brought to you by the sneaky treat company Melbourne. Decadent sweet treats delivered to your door. Don't isolate alone. Order a box of flatten the curve fudge brownies or a lockdown lemon cake to keep you company or to surprise a loved one today. Let a client know you're thinking of them or just to sweeten the deal, head to thesneakytreatco.com and send a personalized note along with your gift. Thesneakytreatco.com. You know you want to. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Curious Life Podcast. My name is Yana Firestone. This was the first episode recorded in lockdown, so the sound quality is going to be a little bit shaky, unfortunately, as we enter this new world of Zoom interviews. But in this episode, I had the distinct privilege of chatting with triple Olympian and world champion swimmer, Michael Klim. It might be a surprise to learn that one of our greatest champions considers himself to be quite a shy guy, despite what you might have seen on TV. Michael has spent his life in the water, taking in the life lessons and applying them to his life beyond the pool. Michael shared his story from his early expat years, where his father's work took them across the globe countless times, learning to swim at the Breach Candy Club in India as a toddler, and the resilience he built through his many years of adapting to a new environment. The one constant throughout was swimming. Michael recounted some of his experiences as an Olympic swimmer, the challenges he faced and finding the drive to persevere through injuries and setbacks, and how he's learned to apply these skills to his life after swimming. We also talked about his life as a parent to his three beautiful children who he shares with ex-wife Lindy and how they work through those sticky days of public separation and finding their groove as co-parents. Michael is a warm and generous spirit who has remained humble throughout his success. He has very generously offered listeners 30% off his Milk & Co products until July 1st using the code MILKTCLP. That's Milk The Curious Life Podcast. You'll hear me rave about these products in the episode and I swear it is not a paid promotion at all. I just genuinely love their range. I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed talking with the wonderful Michael Klim. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on iTunes and to follow us on Instagram at The Curious Life Podcast. I'll pop all the links in the show notes so that you can connect with Michael too. Stay safe and stay well and enjoy the show. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining me on The Curious Life today, all the way from Bali. (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No problem. It's lovely to finally get the connection stable and get it happening. (laughs) Took us a little while, but uh, yeah, the day after Nepi sometimes can be tricky. So, and also in Bali, they extended Nepi by an extra day. So the... Uh. All the uh, all the internet's back on, but everyone's encouraged to stay home for an extra day. I think, obviously, with Corona as well. So, um, yeah, interesting times. Yeah, what is actually happening in Bali with with the restrictions? I mean, it's starting to get very intense here in Australia. Have you got different guidelines over there? Look, it's uh, yeah, it's quite different. We're not hearing much from the government itself. They have really not. Um, advise us of any lockdowns i think obviously bali's kind of a little bit separate to to mainland indonesia and also not only religiously but um i think in terms of how it's operated a lot of the businesses here have taken it upon themselves to lock down so most of the restaurants most of the cafes all the all the pools and 
beach clubs, etc. Everything's closed. So um, there is obviously supermarkets. There's an abundance of food. Um, there's abundance of toilet paper. So there's no <laughs> issue with that. Um, we found, I found really that there's been like a mixed reaction with the expats. For example, some just wanted to get out as soon as possible because they felt Bali could potentially down the track get a little bit unstable, more with crime and things like that rather than probably the virus itself. And then you've got the other half that have, you know, like myself, um, obviously have kids and have a pretty, it's actually pretty easy to isolate and look after your environment here. Uh, so um, we've obviously got a pretty big yard and a nice pool and things like that. So for, you know, for us to spend time in isolation is not, not too bad. So we decided to, to stay put. Nice. I mean, most people pay for the kind of isolation that you're in right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's everyone's got, you know, we just try and I think the thing everyone's trying to do is just adapt as, as well as they can. You know, I think it's obviously unprecedented sort of times that no one's really prepared for and, yeah. um, you know, everyone's trying to do their best. So I think, uh, yeah, at times, you know, I wish I was back in Australia, but then it's, you know, the stories that I hear, it's mm-hmm. you know it's yeah so it's yeah. we're just happy that you know i've got control over my kids and what what they're exposed to and looking after them that's the priority absolutely well we'll get into the kids and and how you're managing a little bit later on but i'd love to start from the beginning and and hear a bit more about your story because we know you as a triple olympian champion swimmer with so many medals (laughs) a relay absolute leader in the pool and i think aren't you being inducted into the hall of fame this year? yeah so there were, it was actually um at the end of april was an induction i was you know lucky enough to be included in in the international swimming hall of fame which is a great honor um obviously that's you know something that as a as an athlete you don't think you're going to get to that stage and yeah. um yeah so it's so to be named as in a very small group of elite swimmers, it's fantastic. But uh, unfortunately, obviously, for obvious reasons, the event's been cancelled or postponed. So hopefully uh, we can, I had everyone, my parents and my partner flying over to, for the ceremony, but we can hopefully do that later in the year or next year. So now with the Olympics, obviously postponed as well. It looks like, yeah, we're kind of in a bit of a holding pattern with a lot of things, but um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, those are huge accolades, but you know, it has to have started somewhere. So you were born in mm-hmm. Poland and then how old were mm. you when you moved to Australia? I was, I was 11 when I moved to Australia, but the, you know, my actual, my movements between the age of, you know, when I was, when I was born in Poland to when I got to Australia were quite interesting because I, I moved to India at the age of one. My dad was working for the Polish consulate as a trade attaché that's what was with this title i still to this day don't understand what that meant but um <laughs> uh, uh so we you know between the age of one and five i pretty much learned to swim in india because it, you know very similar climate to where where i am now in bali obviously quite warm and dad used to drop us off at a place called the bridge candy club which is a, a country club and you know drop us off with mum and pick us up at the end of the day so I used to spend hours just playing in the water from the age. I think I learned to walk at around the same time I learned to swim. So so for those, you know, like, yeah, it's certainly not a conventional learn to swim story where I went to a learn to swim school. But, I, 
you know, my my first swimming teacher, Mrs. Bettina, just recently, who passed, was in her late 80s. And to this day, she she was probably the, a very influential person in my life that taught me to swim with that great passion. So then after after India, we moved to back to Poland, then Germany, then Canada, and then eventually in 89, Dad decided to move to Australia for a contract, and then we never left. So it's wow. been a... The thing that, you know, it's quite interesting how the role that swimming had on my life from a very early age because it's all these things that kept on changing and schools and friends and languages, but it was kind of the the constant that was in my life that I could always feel comfortable going to a swimming pool or a swimming club and kind of fit into that fraternity rather than being, um, you know, as as a kid, all you want to do is be accepted and fit in and all those sort of things. So, So, yeah, even when I arrived in Melbourne I remember we went to the State Swimming Centre in Batman Avenue which is now the Federation Square the pool doesn't exist but Mm. we you know I signed up to the Melbourne Big Centre Swimming Club even before I went to to found a school so (laughs) um so swimming was yeah swimming was definitely something that was a big part of my life from a very early age. Wow, that's so, that's really interesting because I was going to ask you what that must have been like moving from country to country and trying to fit in in different schools. But yeah, if you had swimming as that constant, I guess everything else would have just fallen into place around it. Yeah, and look, I think, you know, as, as a, um, even me now as a parent, I try and see what what is purpose or passion that my kids might have towards us. A certain endeavor like it doesn't necessarily have to be swimming but you know so because I had that sort of focus on swimming from a very early age it made a lot of things much easier like decision making or whatever or even my my identity as well like mm-hmm. even when I was walking around school I was always the you know the Polish kid the swimming you know the swimmer guy or whatever yeah. so um, I think yeah so it made made a lot of things much easier and you know I don't know why people ask me a few times you know I had a I had a really strong drive towards it and I think it's because of my Eastern European background that my parents have pushed me and all that sort of stuff but it was actually it wasn't it was it was very much came from within and and I don't I I really enjoyed the process. Well, it's really interesting because swimming is notoriously, I mean, it's, it's a huge commitment. We always hear parents talking about those really early mornings and every day of the week and hours in the pool before Mm. school and after school. And so as a young person, like that is a huge undertaking. So you would have to have that internal drive. I mean, otherwise it's probably the reason that most people don't go on to become Mm. professional swimmers and and professional athletes because of that commitment. Yeah. Okay. Then I was also fortunate, I guess, that I I tasted some success early in in, Mm. in my sort of, I wouldn't say even call it back then, it wasn't a career, it was more just in my sort of, you know, like while I was swimming and, you know, I became probably one of the the best junior swimmers in Australia at the age of 13 and, and I kept in the sort of winning national titles as I sort of got older. So I sort of had, I had that kind of success at junior level that was driving me. Um, I managed to get a scholarship off the back of uh, my swimming sort of success as well at Wesley College. So it, a, lot of, a lot of my life revolved around swimming and the performance. And at the age of 16, I, I sort of was faced with a really, for me, it wasn't a difficult decision. It was probably the difficult one for my parents where I was asked to move to Canberra to, and train at DIS and move out of home. So, yeah, I was, uh, you know, mum and dad drove me up the highway and, and I moved out of home and at the age of 16 to train with 
kind of the best squad in the world. But it was, you know, I don't never looked at it as a sacrifice or something I gave up. It was more a great opportunity for me to, to be able to do that and to be recognized as a hopeful. And at that time, we were, you know, they were kind of picking the team for, for Sydney, really, uh, without me even knowing. So, you know, eight, probably six years out of the Olympics, they're already looking at... Uh, yeah, looking at the relay squads, etc. So I completed Wesley College by correspondence in the last year of the IB. And yeah, so, but it was one of those things. It was the choice that I made from a very early age. Wow, amazing. And maybe it was, maybe all that moving as a young kid was the perfect preparation for you to be able to make these decisions. You know, you hadn't been coddled at home for 16 years. You'd already had experience of moving and making new friends and new places and absolutely i think you know i learned to adapt to different scenarios and, and situations very early on in my life i'm i'm sort of probably naturally a fairly shy person but then there are you know i think i've learned to in social situations especially in sport you know i've, I've sort of developed a slightly different persona as well <laughs> so uh which has um, i think definitely helped me to, to fit in but um yeah, no, and I think it's, I was lucky enough to travel overseas at a pretty early age as well, you know, representing my club and also Australia. Mm-hmm. So I went to Japan and New Zealand and other countries. So I think I was, by the time I got to Canberra, it was, even though it took me a while to learn how to utilize those amazing resources because I had the best, best training partners, best coaches, physiologists, doctors, nutritionists, counselors. But it took me close to two or three years before I could do a personal best time. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's sort of um, how, how you use that knowledge uh, or the resources around you. It's not as simple, you know, as, as you think. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't even imagine the psychology behind standing on the blocks in front of the world and having to put the world out of your mind and just focus on your performance. I mean, I, I mm. It blows my mind to even, <laughs> and, like, imagine. But see, I, I find that, um, you know, it's kind of a, in, in all honesty, I find that it, it's actually really simple. <laughs> I think it, it became, I think as athletes, we have a very selfish kind of existence and, you know, we've got all these people helping us and helping our performance and reach our peak sort of ability. Mm-hmm. And um, Whereas in life, in everyday life now, I'm, I feel like I'm juggling more variables than what I was back then. So even though maybe the pressure and there was more scrutiny from, say, media and public, etc. But I think in terms of uh, being multitasking and all those sort of things, now it's much harder <laughs> in terms of running a business, still looking after my health, parenting, etc. So I think we're very one-track minded as a, as a professional athlete. So And I think that the better you're prepared, and the more confident you are, the clearer your mind is. And that's when I, um, you know, I think that was always that sweet spot of, of emotion you're in. And that most of the time, probably nine out of the 10 times, I was always very well physically prepared. So it's just aligning yourself emotionally. So, you know, don't, you know, there's so much nervous energy that can be burnt, even with an hour towards the race. So it was more about control, really. So, um, and eliminating sort of noise. And you need to, it's very simple or very similar to now to mindfulness practices where you acknowledge that there is crowds or acknowledge that there might be disruptions or 
whatever. And I think that the better athletes were good at adapting to those situations. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, actually. I mean, we talk about it very commonly now about mindfulness and being in the moment, accepting, acknowledging and not reacting. But um, Mm. it's interesting that so many performers also talk about what you were saying, that actually at the heart of it, they're actually quite a shy person naturally. But then Mm. to be at the top of their game, they've been able to adapt and put on a persona and stand up in front of everyone and do what you have to do. (laughs) I mean, the way that you used to celebrate after wins would not have indicated (laughs) at all that you were a shy person. Yeah, exactly. I know. (laughs) I think think it was almost like I tried to, I don't know, I had a, a, I had, I swam with a lot of aggression, so for me it was controlling this aggression before the start and I was kind of a, an explosive athlete being a sprinter and so it was almost by the end of the race it was all just coming out emotionally and physically so um, and both you know both good and bad when I you know when the races didn't go too well you know that <laughs> there was obviously the, the negative emotions as well but but yeah certainly I you know, swimming was my outlet. So, and also not just, and not just racing, but also training, you know, being able to apply myself. And I, I love the structure of it. I, I love the, um, I guess the pursuit. I think it's, uh, you know, people talk about how, I think there's a couple of sports that are, you know, say rowing and cycling and quite monotonous and, you know, can be, uh, but I sort of, I enjoyed that, the process of going through the, you know, we didn't have, get a chance to show off that often, like tennis players, for example, yeah. like they do. But so it was, you know, that's that. That's all the drama of our sport, where we get a chance to, you know, prove ourselves maybe two or three times a year at the at the most. Mm. Yeah, good point. Was there ever a time? that you just thought, I just can't do this anymore, I can't, like maybe while you were still, I mean, I imagine once you're getting towards the end of your career, you start questioning things, but was there ever a time when you were really in the midst of it that you just had to fight to keep going? Yeah, I think there was probably, um, yeah, I think after Sydney Olympics, I I had an accident probably six weeks out out from world world championships i broke my ankle playing basketball and that led to a bunch of other injuries i had i had a prolapsed disc and then that uh, flowed onto uh, torn labrum which is you know in, in my shoulder and i started having shoulder problems and in the, the 2004 olympics were creeping up really quickly and uh, you know i was i was really frustrated because my body for the first time i'd I've been very injury free and I managed to stay sort of really healthy but it, suddenly at that point in 2001 a lot of sort of pun the pun but wheels fell off and um and yeah so that was it it was one after another it was so um it was probably a, the toughest time for me where 13 months to go to the to the trials I was still kicking up and down the pool without being able to use my arms and wow. just having a snorkel and to still trying to focus on my what I could do rather than the things that I was missing out on and still coming to the pool and doing a lot of you know thoroughband work and you know <laughs> doing sort of rehab and just stretching and just so, and also just to stay in the group that were even though it's an individual sport the swimming squad of the fraternity can be quite supportive too so um 
yeah, so that was a tough time. Um, and, and probably the toughest time was making that decision when after 2007, I decided to hang up the togs and I ended up trying to try to make a comeback in 2012 for London, but unsuccessfully. But mind you, that, that process was really rewarding because I had already had started a business and had, had kids and so a slightly different focus. But it was when I first retired, it was almost, I felt that I, it was the, per, the process of getting ready to, for a competition wasn't as fulfilling as what it was previously. And, and I felt that I was, you know, getting more nervous and, and that I felt that it, it wasn't a joy for me anymore. And that was the, the point that I decided to, um, to call it quits the first time. Yeah. I mean, I think that, in my mind, the psychology of having to give everything repeatedly. Like I just had, I just pictured you, you know, with the snorkel, just kind of, you know, the <laughs> frustration that you must have felt, you know, especially seeing your yeah. teammates in full swing with training and getting excited. I mean, how you get over that in your mind to just keep going. Mm. I mean, it must take incredible. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, generally in sport, you know, I think it's, or even in life in general, I think it's that perseverance, you know, like, yeah, you just, I've learned people asking me, what's the biggest thing you'd take out out of board and, and, and what you've been able to apply into life after sport? And I think the ability to come back day after day and even in in business too, you know, you get so many knockbacks mm. and you have negative thing, you know, like it's, I don't, no one's ever going to have just, a, you know, everything being smooth sailing and no, no disappointments or no, um, yeah. So I think that, you know, there's other pillars that I took out of it, out of sport, but it was, that was one of them. Um, I can touch on the others later if you like, but I think that's being the ability to just come back day after day is key because you just never know when your time will come you know yeah absolutely I mean if that's not one of the best things to come out of it I mean that's something as you said that most people struggle with in whatever industry they're in or whatever Mm. it's overcoming disappointments and then the setbacks which we all experience and yeah that self-doubt and yeah yeah, I mean in in sport it's a little bit multiplied but I think it's Mm. It carry you know, and in, in everyday life, it's you know, the, my all my key learnings have come out of sports. So that's why I like talking about it because I, you know, didn't go into tertiary education, didn't have any skills really. So when I build my business and the team, which was really important, as you know, you, you touched on, I was always uh, performed better in a team environment than I did individually. So there was something in that. So I try to tap into that I was always very analytical with my swimming so I used to have a bunch of I still have them here a bunch of notebooks that I used to record almost every lap and heart rate and lactate and all these sort of things so that I took that away and also apply that into business so you know knowing you know knowing things about your your company and also your competition your numbers etc that 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 you know initially I, I launched Milk and Co and Clean more on gut and intuition because I thought there was a need for this sort of product. But as you know, that we went through the company cycle, I needed to adapt. And same in my swimming career, there was a period in 96 when I was ranked number one in the world, I was expected to win gold in Atlanta, it didn't happen. Um, and I really needed to change everything. So innovation was was key. So I did apply that in, into my company as well. But yeah, it came from that me in, inventing, I guess, my own stroke, swimming with straight arms and developing special suits with Speedo and 
you know, working on my underwater and things like that. So innovation, so I guess it was team, knowledge, innovation, perseverance, those sort of things were things that I was able to carry over into life after sport. Fantastic. And I think that's so important because we see so many big sports stars that either go one way or the other. They've Mm. been thinking strategically and can apply skills in a different way and become really successful or we see, you know, like you were saying before, the wheels fall off. And in fact, even in mm. our swimming community, we've seen some pretty public yeah. battles with mental health and, mm-hmm. and what probably coming down from a, a very big high might do to you. Mm. And I guess mm. how, how do you manage to maintain stability? You've got the core elements there, but just even on a personal level, how mm. do you manage that coming off such big high it, while we were competing or you mean in in in, in well, general like, i guess both yeah I'm, I'm very interested in in how i guess when you're in it and you're competing it's like probably driving mm. you to the next thing i'd imagine but then yeah when, yeah and then when it's all over you know how do you settle into life as, that. Yeah. yeah 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 so i think definitely as you know um when I, as you said uh, you know previously when we were in in the sport and there was always the next meet to prepare for, there was the next goal. So I think goal setting and all those sort of things became, you know, we, even if you had, a, I think the awakening sort of when the, you get closer to the end of your career and you, mm. and you realize, so I think the key is, or the thing that people struggle with is finding the new identity because I've, I've you know, even to this day, you know, maybe because I haven't changed my haircut in 20 odd years, but people still say, oh, there's Klimi, that swimmer guy still. So it's sort of, um, but there is a lot more to, to my life now than there was back, you know, 20 years ago. So I think finding, you know, and I'm not obviously going to pretend that I found things to substitute standing on the dais and or standing on the blocks. And, you know, it's a completely different area, but you need to find a new identity and, and basically rebalance your life because I think our, it was very much skewed towards swimming back then. And then when you take that away, there is this massive void. So I think, you know, I was obviously fortunate to, to start family early and I had a great support sort of from, family and friends and my parents and um but then obviously having something like the business just you know put put my teeth into and um but then just understanding i i guess that you know for me swimming is now i still use that for a, a certain purpose for mindfulness i still swim two or three times a week uh i don't i swim with a different intent but i I still, for me, I realized how important it was and still is a big part of my life. So, uh, but I think definitely that finding that new identity is, um, it's like in everyday life, people have on average four or five career changes, you know, in, in their everyday life. So it, it's, I think sport is just one of those where you have to adapt afterwards. And I still do clinics and I still apply my knowledge from sport to to even keynotes or whatever I do, but I had to simplify it and say it's just a career move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you've touched on the business a couple of times and that's Milk & Co. And I have to say, one of your people sent me a whole bag full for the kids, <laughs> no, <that's good. laughs> for my partner, for me. 
and we're obsessed and it ran out and we've gone out and bought <laughs> replacements because especially the Great. baby stuff we just love it yeah. it's just beautiful yeah. stuff so thank you yeah so where did that all start for you look it was it was probably incidental to be honest like i i didn't have i always thought i'd probably have a fashion brand you know like most of the afl footballers <laughs> probably do my own t-shirt label or something yeah. I, I was into probably fashion more than i was into grooming mm-hmm. um but there was a period where i was approached by a couple of skincare companies and i was already on board with brawn for shaving my head so um and I thought, oh, I'll in- in- investigate this the male skincare market in Australia. And it was, it was kind of starting to grow. And um, I thought, instead of being the face of someone else's brand, you know, why don't I try and create my own, which I did. I created three products. It was a face wash and scrub, a body wash and a moisturizer. Mm-hmm. I presented that to Maya and I launched the week of the Olympics in 2008. And it was I had this concept, but it was, you know, just simple, kind of easy to use, functional products for guys made by another Aussie male. So, yeah. and it, um, yeah, they bought the pitch and and I sort of needed to make the stuff. So <laughs> I was sort of, I was really thrown in the deep end. <laughs> um, and, um, but yeah, I had to learn on the job. I had no idea, you know, I had a A4 bit of paper that was my business plan. I had no idea how to do financials or anything like that, I think. You know, most businesses lose a lot of money early because of that. I mean, for me, it was a lack of that knowledge, but I had, I was pretty determined that I was going to make it work and that, <laughs> that, you know, invested a lot of time and effort. But yeah, and then obviously I started, I had to adapt with the changing marketplace as well because um, we weren't really doing all that well initially. And we decided to move the brand more into a, a mass market where we started selling through pharmacies and, and supermarkets, FMCG, etc. So it was, uh, yeah, I learned a lot. We Obviously, the baby range came, it started when we started having kids, myself and my ex-wife, and we couldn't find anything that was good enough for our kids as most parents can't, you know. So we thought, we decided to create and at that time was an organic baby range, which we made in Tassie. And and then through demand when we were selling in, you know, at one point around 16 different countries around the world. And the UK and Boots wanted us to create a women's offer. So the women's offer was born. And since then, you know, we've done airplane amenities, hotel amenities, etc. cetera. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a very interesting journey. But I think... For me, the passion was always growing a brand. So that the grooming aspect was probably one that was pretty partial to as being a sumo, we're pretty used to having dry skin and, and or, or even shaving our legs. But, um, <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, so it was something that, you know, I, I wasn't certainly shy about and I was probably a good spokesperson for the average Aussie bloke where you don't it, it's important to look after your skin because we are exposed to Aussie climate with uh, with the harsh sun and etc so yeah so that's in a nutshell that's the story of the brand but it sort of it grew very organically we didn't um and you know the PR story it's it's genuine a lot of brands looked for to come up with the story whereas we actually I, I created the brand off an opportunity of experience and knowledge in the pool and and then through family experience and then market demand so it's very uh it's very genuine 
Yeah, and and they really are beautiful products. Nearly every one of my friends has got a kid with some kind of eczema or reactive skin. I think I guess maybe we're wearing a lot more sunscreen than we used to, mm. and I mm-hmm. don't know what it is, but kids seem to have a lot more sensitive skin. And the yep. range that that I've been using with my kids, I've been telling everyone about because it's cleared up everything. And this is not a, a sales pitch. This is genuine. Like a, it's really terrific, <laughs> terrific product. Yeah. And we've, we've, we've learned to like the brand has changed a little bit. We've rebranded on all three brands. Um, and we've, you know, we've, we found what the customer really wants. And especially for baby, we want, we want products that are natural. We want them, you know, we obviously not a medicinal product, but we want to make sure that they're gentle on the, on the on our baby's skin. The fragrances, both parents and the child would enjoy the soothing, calming, etc. So, also with our packaging for men, we had to change that in terms of making it more of a linking it back to my sporting career, which all our, our products are focused on certain, a certain way of life, which is an outdoor, healthy outdoor lifestyle. And yeah, and then the women's, women's offer is more for that, that range of products. It's almost a spa that you can, it's far offer that you can have at home after, mm-hmm. let's say you've had a big day looking after your kids or that. So the fragrances and the ingredients are very sort of, uh, they're actually Bali inspired. So they're quite exotic and um, invigorating at times so um, they all have a certain different purpose so yeah we've been very fortunate to be stocked in chemist warehouse and priceline and woolies and coals over the time so so we, the, the brand has become reasonably known so it's uh yeah we're, we're pretty proud of it amazing you should be <laughs> You've mentioned your ex-wife, Lindy, and most people know you married a Balinese princess and it it sounded like the ultimate fairy tale. But unfortunately, things didn't go necessarily the way you might have planned. And Mm -hmm. um, I imagine that would have been a pretty difficult thing to go through again publicly to have to announce a separation. And these are things that most people get to do privately and work out what they're going to tell their friends and family. And when you're sort of living in a public way, I guess that adds another element to things that the average person. Yeah, absolutely. And then look at, you know, I think, um, you know, both of us were fairly good at not exposing anything that we didn't want to, to, to the media. I think it's obviously, uh, as you said, it's a difficult time for everyone involved and especially kids and um, we wanted to keep them as the priority. So it's, uh, yeah, so we, as, as hard as it is at times where you, you, you potentially want to say things or um, we, we kept, you, we kept, you know, obviously the kids' welfare and their future in mind. So, yeah, so obviously now I think it, I think the initial first two years, of adjusting into a new sort of routine for everybody took a bit of time and but now I think you know we're sort of pretty used to uh, the structure the kids are used to the the kind of the split way of life where they go you know week on week off and but yeah there's transition for everybody involved even extended family from you know my parents or grandparents etc so but uh, I think you know we we've realized that uh, I think there was a period where you know, I realized that it's much easier just to, well, obviously what we wanted to get to where we were conscious of that, that if there's no point putting up barriers without just for, for any old reason. So we just wanted to make sure that it's as easy kind of smooth sailing kind of lifestyle for, 
everyone involved. Yeah, and and maybe it's easier now that you're out of the worst part of it to rationally think about things. But when there's emotion involved in the beginning, Mm. I can imagine that's a very challenging time and trying to negotiate with each other as parents about what it's going to look like. Have you got any advice for people that might be going through separation, might be at the beginning of it, um, about is there anything that might help? Yeah, look, I think definitely, you know, the the most important thing, as you mentioned just then, was the communication. So, you know, with with a lot of raw feelings and emotions still from, from the separation or divorce, you know, sometimes the rational decisions, you know, aren't always that rational. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I think finding a way to communicate and separating the, the past, which is obviously easier said than done, um, would be obviously the, the the focus, and we did that through a mediator actually, and we had that, had a mutual friend that helped us to meet up and go through literally just kids' schedules, calendars, etc., and without talking about anything else. So just focusing on on the kids' welfare. So I would I would recommend finding a way, whichever it might be, if it's writing emails or if it's <laughs> <laughs> going through a, a counsellor like yourself or whatever it might be, I think communication is key. And then and keeping in mind what the most important thing is, which is the kids in their future. Yeah, I think that's so important. I mean, I think, unfortunately, kids often get lost in the mix when relationships mm. go through their challenges and and keeping the kids the priority is the, the only thing that's going to keep you going on the right path mm. in mm. a lot of cases. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So how do you manage now since the world is looking like it's going to be effectively closed for the next many <laughs> months? Does that change things in terms of how you, you're not leaving Bali, so you, you're probably going to be in the same area as each other all the time. Does that make things easier, better, worse? Oh, look, it's, 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 it's pretty, um, we're quite used to it now. We used to live less than a K apart. Um, they, you know, we even though we have a week on week off scenario at the moment, we you know we tend to split the kids occasionally when you know Lindy's had another a child since since the divorce. So it's you know you know we work try and accommodate each other as much as possible. So I think we we do try and I think it's important to keep a certain routine. So the our week on week off scenario, we try and stick to as much as possible because of just so the kids know where they're going to be going and who's going to pick them up from school and what day and what activities they have, et cetera. So it's more more from that point of view. Obviously, when plans change and my business obviously is still based in Australia, so, you know, if, if there's, you know, there's occasional sort of adaption to that to those things. But trying to stick to, to the routine is very important. Fantastic. So how do you balance it all when when everything's not in a pandemic situation? I imagine you're in and out of Australia quite frequently and how do you balance the demands of a family and a booming business, you know, in another mm. country? Look, it, it took me a while to find a workable <laughs> scenario because it um, initially I was spending... a a lot of time when we first moved to Bali, I was spending a lot of time in Australia, and we had private equity 
that was on board and we had obviously a very sort of uh, we had a, a responsibility i guess to grow the business make sure it's profitable and you know and obviously being the the founder and, and the face to an extent you know i was uh you know trying to split myself between two places it, it actually for a long time i think i'd almost did that week on week off where i was a week in australia a week back in bali for maybe two or three years which took a toll on me physically and mentally so now i've been able to create more of a i think now inevitably <laughs> we're working remotely but um i was sort of i would come back to australia only once a month and the team was based in sydney and i could got also a team in, in melbourne and in china so there is uh yeah i think everyone is getting used to working remotely these days but um with you know just focusing on on the face-to-face meetings or when i when i was in town and reducing that just from my from my health point of view like i, I struggled and also my own routine too so it helped me to to be a, a more patient parent at times and also with my, in me physically as well travel is you know it does take its toll and I you know I sort of was missing exercise and I was missing sort of a sort of structure with food as well and you know so I think my health and wellness became probably more important to me I had a couple of health issues which sort of brought things to the forefront and so it's almost like I did it, not that I would t- uh, took the foot off the gas, but just restructured it and, yeah, I guess build the team around, you know, uh, my lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, well, you hit on a couple of points there, which I think are, are so relatable to anyone who's a parent and trying to maintain any kind of life and career while trying to be a parent. Because patience, mm. unfortunately, is the first thing that goes out the door <laughs> when you're stressed yeah. and tired and you're not yeah. eating well and yeah. not exercising. And, exactly. You yeah. know, I find that the yeah. hardest part of, of my job as a parent is patience. Mm. I, you know, immediately <laughs> hear the ranting, screaming mum in me coming out as soon as I'm, you know, not coping in other areas of my life. So, yeah, yeah. What would be your tips to other parents? I mean, how have you, your kids are a little bit older now. You've gotten past the worst yeah. of the toddler years and all of yeah. that mayhem. What, do you have any advice for parents on trying to keep it together? Look, I definitely, I know what are the things that um, that make me feel better or if I feel that I'm becoming probably impatient or irrational or just, irritated (laughs) um i don't feel guilty about doing something that will make me feel better and then come back and in a better frame of mind for example if it's becoming too much and um i'll go either go for a swim or go to the gym and generally it is exercise sometimes it might be a quick mindfulness exercise or something but i think taking time out for yourself is is as important as and a lot of the time you know like we feel guilty that we do it and and I think if you can work with your partner and or you know that they that both of you have that time away because it helps you to it helps me to clear my head and come back and you know I've I've got my partner now that is you know really supportive and encourages that for me to go and have a swim with my mates. Generally, I do it first thing in the morning, but sometimes in the afternoon if I if I feel like it's generally that's when it's becoming too much when the kids are back from school and it's. I'm still trying to get a few emails away and everyone is just, and it's, things are going crazy. So, um, yeah, being able to step aside and even, it doesn't have to be a long time, but come back uh, clear headed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and release yourself from the guilt. I think. Yeah. 
exactly. Probably, that's probably <laughs> the hardest part of it, you know, making yeah, absolutely. time and, and letting yourself yeah. be okay with it. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, so those were the, the things that I, I, I would say I'd learned that, um, you know, putting time into myself uh, would ultimately benefit everyone around me, not just yeah. my family. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I think going into the lockdown and the, again, I keep coming back to what's happening around the world, but mm. you know, I think we're going to be facing some challenges from in, within our families, particularly, you know, here in Australia and across the world where we're going to be around each other a lot more. We're going to have to find creative ways of having that space and building mm. that mm. time for whatever it is yeah. that makes us feel good. But I think that's yeah. an important reminder that, you know, you got to look after yourself before you can really help yeah. anyone else. Yeah. We were, we were actually thrown into the deep end of it yesterday and we're in it now actually in Bali. There's a national holiday called Nepi, which is a Thailand holiday. And so everyone's enforced to stay inside and there is no lights allowed. All the internet's turned off. So not only were we in lockdown, but there was actually no no devices oh no no <laughs> um, so uh, the, the pressure was turned up even more so yesterday oh we, my God. <laughs> um, I think we, we, we think we painted we cooked we did all these by the by four o'clock we were, we were <laughs> all of us including the kids were like what do we do now like it's oh but no. um yeah oh my God. No <laughs> but it was a it was a exactly yeah. no connection to the outside world yeah. and you had to and um it was a true test of everyone's patience yesterday. I can imagine. <laughs> well done for surviving it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, I think, I think there's so much there that people will take away because a lot of the people listening to this show particularly are parents, people that are starting their own businesses, people that are trying to find ways to pivot and move their passions into something else that's doing something for them instead of mm. just working for somebody else. And as you said before, most people are going to have many career moves. And mm. I guess I guess it all comes down to those core things that you were learning in your swimming, like listening to what you actually, what you're getting from what you're doing, transferring mm. it into something else. And I guess if we all start listening a little bit more clearly to the things that drive us what we're getting out of things and how we can turn that and apply that to something else mm, yeah yeah I, I think you mentioned before there were four pillars uh, yeah about four I mean obviously for me I think it's team or people I think it's team it's it's who you surround yourself with I think not now be obviously with the <laughs> with the social uh distancing might be even trickier so but it's still keeping the connection so even you know I, I someone had some lovely friends just reach out to see how how I'm going and I think having that social connection is important but then on a corporate level we're actually even more diligent on making sure we get it together and chat because you don't have that connection in the office like we used to so team and team culture and people are really really important I think so knowledge I touched on knowledge so as an athlete I wanted to know more about myself hence the logging and in the notebook and analyzing everything so I think same in business so I think the more you can educate yourself about yourself and the outside world and maybe 
your competitors in the business sense. I think the better you're going to be, but then you can make better, more calculated decisions within your own business. Uh, I think the other one was innovation. I think I had to evolve a lot as a person from an identity standpoint, but then also as, as an athlete developing better training methods and utilizing resources, mindset, all those sort of things. So continually innovating. I think a lot of people get stuck in a and a comf- sort of comfortable pattern that is potentially with everything changing, if they don't adapt, they'll probably get left behind. I think the passion and the purpose can differ. You know, I think obviously I had that real drive for swimming. My drive changed towards, I guess, the pride of building a brand um, and <laughs> seeing it seeing it evolve. Um, I think that was really really interesting. So so those you know so that's finding finding that finding that purpose and. And not to say that I'm as I'm obsessed with skincare. It's it's whatever it, whatever makes you tick, you know. So and we've been able to affiliate. I've been able to affiliate myself with great charities, put on great events that are like, for example, the Open Water Swim Series with World Series Swims. And you can still within your business, if it's not something that you're obsessed about, you can still I think find ways that you can find what whatever those core values are. So yeah, probably those four things. Yeah. Brilliant. I think there's a lot that we can all take away from all of those Thank lessons. You. Thanks for learning them the hard way for us. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's, that's when they come. But if you yeah. can avoid making those mistakes, uh, that'd be much easier. <laughs> Absolutely. So what's next for you? What should people be keeping their ears out for? Look, we've, we've had a very exciting 18 months within our business where we've sort of been able to build a partnership with Alibaba in China and they've sort of become a partner and exclusive partner of our business over there. So we're, we're looking at launching with, with them at the end of sort of hopefully next month or depending on what's going to happen. But uh, so for us as a business to, to, I guess, going to the next level even more so, I guess the biggest retailer in the world. So that's uh, yeah. So I think there is there'll be you know new product extensions and you know we've got as part of our sponsorships we've also got some new events that we're aligning with the the Mar- swim the Gold Coast, which is a one of very few marathon swims on the east coast of Australia. So that we were planning to have that at the end of May. Looks like we'll probably be the closer to the end of the year, but as we've sponsored open water swimming events for the last sort of five, six years. So to be, you know, the naming right sponsor of this marathon swim will be great. We've sold out already. So everyone hopefully will come back for it <laughs> when the time is right. So yeah, just, yeah. So looking out for that, um, there'll be a fair bit of things happening, but um, uh, yeah, so as a brand, we're still evolving and there's, there's hopefully new, new product offers. And so yeah, check out the shelves and all the sort of chemist warehouse and price lines around. <laughs> Amazing. And should people be following you online to keep in touch? Maybe. Yeah. So in terms or... of myself personally, um, it's Michael Klim one from the business point of view, it's milk and co the word and and then for more of an active skincare range it's clean by michael clean so um, I, I check up some exercise tips and some sort of workouts on, on there as well so uh yeah so those three and milkandco.com that i use uh, is our online store so you'll be able to find all the there's a bunch of offers that due to this current climate that unfortunately everyone is facing and 
uh, hopefully most people can benefit from that. So uh, I think we've got 30% off most things at the moment at least or you get some free wipes if you buy anything in, on the online store <laughs> at the moment. So keep yourself clean. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll be jumping straight on there and stocking up. You don't need to worry about that. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks for that. No worries. I'll Beautiful. put the links to all of those uh, onto the show notes so people can just get through easily enough. But Michael, thank Beautiful. you so much for your time. I really appreciate thank you sharing. It was, it was a great chat. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much oh, for having me. Good. No, you're very welcome. Now you stay safe over there. We'll do. <laughs> we'll do. <laughs>